right, so uh, Brother Clary opened us up last week in bringing us into um, the study of this book, um, Sabbath as Rest. Here's a picture of it if you were to buy the paper copy. The Sabbath as Rest and Hope for the People of God um, by Guy Prentice Waters. Um, so last week, Stephen, he taught on the origins of the Sabbath. Um, it's and includes the commandment that God had given for all mankind, including its purpose that he had intended for it and continues to intend for it. The author, Guy Waters, he writes in closing of chapter one, quote, the Sabbath is a window into our own humanity and the kind of people that God calls us to be in Jesus Christ. I believe that there is a depth in the Sabbath that the Lord intends for his people to enjoy that we are um, still in desperate need of learning. And I include myself into that, that list. So um, I pray Lord uses this study and even future studies and down the road, whatever that might be to help us uh, tr truly rejoice in what he's given to us in this, in this day. Well, the Sabbath memorializes, it memorializes the rest that we have with God, that we have in God and the rest that we are destined to eternally as, as God's people. It should be clear, hopefully, as we go through this, all these studies, uh, by the time we finish it, that to despise the Sabbath command, and I use that word despise again, uh, meaning if any dislike for it, really, where you ignore it even, um, is a level of despising, really, that to despise this Sabbath command and its day um, is to miss the picture that God intends for his redeemed people. And what we're going to be focusing on this morning uh, is mostly on Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, what the Lord has to say in those books regarding the weekly Sabbath, primarily the weekly Sabbath. Now we're going to start doing this by looking at one passage that reports Sabbath day observance by Israel even before their encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Even before the the, the Ten Commandments were given. So we're going to spend also time, of course, looking at the Ten Commandments as we're in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And then we're going to review some passages that should help us uh, finish sizing up the Sabbath as it existed in the Law of Moses in general. And this, of course, is not as in-depth as we could make it. We would be on this just in the Pentateuch for a very long time if we were wanting to spend a the, probably the breadth amount of time that it deserves. So this is a, a review, if you will, um, an analysis of the Sabbath in the, in the Pentateuch. All right, so the command that God gave, the explicit command for God's people to keep the weekly Sabbath, it doesn't appear, now I'm saying the explicit command, it doesn't appear until the Ten Commandments when we come to Exodus chapter 20. However, 
The command to keep the weekly Sabbath, even as Stephen taught last week, it is found implicitly in scripture. It's found implicitly even in Genesis chapter two. But even besides that, what God declares as holy in Genesis two, there is even another passage that we're gonna look at that points to how the, the Sabbath was, was being kept and understood by, by the people of Israel. And you could even probably argue um, even possibly some around them, but mostly the line of Seth, most likely. And that's in Exodus chapter 16. So by the time Exodus chapter 16 arrives, Israel has been redeemed by God from bondage. Okay, they've experienced the Exodus from, from Egypt, miraculously driven through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they were just beginning to be led through the wilderness. They certainly did their fair share of grumbling, even up to this point, uh, revealing their hearts and the, and the condition that they were, hardened and stubborn, even while God was providing for them, providing for them miraculously with the food and water. So that was their heart condition still by the time we're around Exodus 16. And it's in verses 13 through 21, uh, where we read of the heavenly bread called manna being provided. And Moses instructs them when that man, manna is first introduced to them, he tells them to go gather as much as they want, but just, this is my rewording, just don't get greedy, don't try to hoard it. Don't try to stow it away for the next day. Um, if you remember, they would, in reality, it didn't matter how much they gathered, whether it was two, um, uh, in comparison to the other brothers and sisters that were gathering, if one gathered much and one gathered little, they had just enough what they needed. But he said, go and gather. Go, go and gather as much as you want. God wants them to trust him for their daily bread. And we know by extension what that means in, um, through the rest of scripture and the counsel of the word of God. He, the word of God itself on, on him. They wants, he wants them to trust him for their needs. But sadly, we read in this narrative that the people don't do that. They don't do it. What do they do? They try to, to hoard it. Some tried to save it overnight. And the, the text reads that it bred worms and stank. And I'm sure it was, had to be a nasty sight. Uh, and, and the smell probably was just as bad as it looked. You know, sin is always ugly. And it's, it's only good for the burn pile. So it's probably a, a horrible sight. We wanted to imagine it. But then, as we have on, my, on the screen here, this text, then comes what's recorded in, starting in verse 22. Now, it was the sixth day of the week and the people happened to have gathered twice as much as they had been on earlier days. Now, the leaders of the people, the elders, they saw this potentially rebellious behavior and they went and told Moses. Um, you know, you can just picture the scene there going like, um, uh, Moses, 
You know just how a couple of days ago the people ignored what you said and, and they saved it overnight and it, you know, all the nasty thing with the worms and how bad the camp stank after that and how mad you were at them for doing that? Well, I think the same thing might be happening again. Um, you know, I can only imagine what it would have been like to be uh, a mediator in some of those conversations. Well, at this point, um, we know that um, only in, you know, this point in Exodus 16, there is still plenty more time for Israel um, to test Moses' patience. We know that's still waiting Moses. Um, so, but even at this point by now, the way they have displayed their rebellious hearts, I'm sure that they were dreading that conversation with Moses. But how did Moses respond? That's what we're going to look at right now. How did he respond? And I think it's somewhat surprising. He said in verse 23, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So go ahead and keep it over till morning. So they lay aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And this is before the Ten Commandments given to them on Sinai. The author of, this, of the book we're going through, Guy Waters, he argues that what the Lord commands through Moses, it was likely familiar to them to hear about a Sabbath, to labor six days and to rest on the seventh. He argues it was likely familiar to them. He writes, quote, though this is the first time that scripture records an explicit command about the Sabbath, there is no indication in the text that God was giving it to Israel for the very first time. It does come by way of divine command, but it is a command with which Israel appears to have prior familiarity. The institution of the Sabbath at the creation and the subsequent, subsequent perpetuation of the Sabbath's observance among the patriarchal generations likely accounts for this familiarity. So he's saying the line of Seth, and especially through the, the patriarchal family, there would have likely been a familiarity with uh, six days you will labor and the seventh day you will rest. But here we find the mercy and care of God shining through. He doesn't want, and again, this also reflects how the Sabbath is made for man and man not for the Sabbath. God does not want Israel to stress about food and working to, get, to do these things on the seventh day. It is a day of rest, a day that is solemn and holy to God. It is sacred, you know, set apart. It is to be set apart for his worship. Even so, the following verse here, verse 27, it says that on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. 
On the seventh day, some people went out to gather, but they found none. There was no manna to be found. Now this time, God chose to show mercy. He doesn't punish them for breaking the Sabbath here. It's early on in their Exodus journey. But soon they're going to receive the explicit command to keep the Sabbath holy um, as it's given to them on the mountain. So let's move on to that section now in our text, in the Bible. The Sabbath as it's given at Sinai. Waters, the author writes, quote, The high point in the progress of Old Testament revelation about the Sabbath comes on Mount Sinai. Again, he calls this the high point in Old Testament revelation. He goes on saying, having led Israel to this mountain, God tells them what we read in, um, in, in particular on the Sabbath command in verses 14 through six on, in Exodus 19, before we get to the, the command on, in, in Exodus 20, he tells them in Exodus 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God is telling them that he owns them. He owns them. He is their redeemer. He is really giving them a bit of the backdrop there for the Ten Commandments that I'll be giving them. He owns them. They are a special people for himself, and if they will only obey him and keep his covenant, then they will know his divine blessings on earth. You know, walking with their God. But then we come to the commandments themselves. In Exodus 20, with the introduction and giving of the Ten Commandments, or the, the Ten Words, where the explicit law governing their relationship with God, where that begins. And it is in the Ten Commandments where the heart and center of the law of Moses consists. This is the summary of the, the law. It is the moral law. Now Moses... His many instructions and commandments, they flow from here, from the Ten Commandments, which is why it is proper again to consider that it is a summary of the law. Again, the Ten Commandments are a moral foundation for the subsequent laws given through the law of Moses throughout the Pentateuch. So included in that moral foundation is the command concerning the weekly Sabbath. So here we have this background. God owns them. He is their redeemer. They are his people. They have this sacred, special, sought-out relationship. He gives them this summary command. He gives them the moral law from which all the law of Moses stems from that governs their entire life, everything about them. Included in there is the command for the weekly Sabbath. That is that important that it's in there. Now this command 
of this weekly Sabbath, we know is in Exodus 20, and it's also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we'll begin now in, in Exodus 20 to see what God wanted his covenant people to understand about the Sabbath. So let's read that command. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That you always look for the therefore and what it's pointing to. This command in the following commandment, the fifth commandment, those are both unique among the Ten Commandments in that they don't begin with a prohibition. They don't say do not. And the Sabbath command is the only command among the ten where Israel is called to remember. Now I wonder why. Why are they told to remember? They, Israel must work at keeping the Ten Commandments. They must work at keeping the weekly Sabbath commandment. Keeping it before their mind. To anticipate it throughout the week. It is to be considered a day of resting that they are called to enjoy. Christ, again, he did say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is a gift, a day of refreshment. Now, I know, church, I know for many of us, it is also a busy day. It is a busy day, but it's a spiritual resting in, in the Lord on this day. We don't have as much as we can enjoy in this fallen world um, to deal with the, the secular affairs that our work often brings with it. Waters, Guy Waters says that, quote, the word remember likely does more than summon Israel not to neglect the Sabbath and its observance in the course of their week-to-week -week existence. It's likely more than than that. God is calling Israel to remember the Sabbath that he instituted at the creation for all people. The command itself in verse 11, I have it highlighted here, it references God's creative act, which looks back to Genesis 2 verse 3. And this is important. Just as the creation ordinance of labor finds iteration in this command, it's being repeated, six days you shall labor, so does the creation ordinance of the Sabbath rest. From the beginning, it has been a day ordained for rest in worship to the Lord. Now on the Sabbath, Israel, they shall not do any work. Neither must anyone in an Israelite's household do any work. Even a sojourner 
you know, a traveler, if you will. Israel must keep the day holy, even as God himself made it holy. Now, the Sabbath is a day that God has set apart for his people to gather together and worship. There is an assembling that is called for. It is a day that God has uniquely blessed. And the foundation of the fourth commandment, as we see in Genesis, is God's own activity and design in his work of creation. That is the foundation. So from this, the author, he argues and tells us that we can gather two things from this. He says, first, Israel's time, their time is not their own. Of course, neither is it ours. Their time is not their own. God is Lord over all things, including time and how it is used. Israel and all in mankind, for that matter, must order its day and its week in accordance with God's commands. That's the first thing the author argues you can gather from this foundation being in God's creative design and activity. The second thing he says you can gather is Israel's worship of God on the Sabbath should be bear witness to God being the creator of heaven and earth. All that God worked, it's wisdom, power, goodness that he put on display that should elicit praise and worship from us. Thanksgiving. All right, so now we're going to advance through the Pentateuch and we're going to come to jump all the way to the, the fifth book, to Deuteronomy, in particular chapter 5. Israel is at this point, ready to enter the promised land, Moses' farewell address, it's pretty much captured in the book of Deuteronomy. And in the course of giving them his final words, he reminds this second generation of Israelites of the Ten Commandments that God had delivered to their fathers at Sinai. Now the first generation, we remember, they died off in the wilderness as God had promised that they would not get to enter the promised land because of their rebellion. Now this second generation is reminded of their covenant with God. So here in verses 12 through 15 in Deuteronomy chapter five, the Sabbath command once again appears, but yet it is in a slightly different form, okay? A slightly different form. The text reads, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Waters explains that overall much of this passage resembles the one previously given in Exodus chapter 20. But the most notable difference comes in the last verse. 
what I have highlighted here on the right side of the slide. In Exodus, God, he grounds Israel's Sabbath observance in his creation of the world in six days and his subsequent resting on the seventh day. But in Deuteronomy, God offers a complementary but distinct ground for Sabbath observance in redemption, which is a chief theme in, in that God used when, before he gave them the Ten Commandments, how he is their redeemer. Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. God had redeemed them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Just like we, brothers and sisters, before we came to Christ, were enslaved to sin. Our own Egypt. But what is the connection that we have between Sabbath resting and redemption? What is the connection? Well, the verb that you can see I put in red text on the right-hand slide, the verb translated as labor in verse 13 and the noun translated as slave in verse 15, they are related in Hebrew. Um, says, writes the author here. It's an argument he's putting forward. He said, therefore, the Sabbath, according to Deuteronomy, was a memorial of Israel's redemption out of a toilsome existence into a blessed existence as God's covenant people. Six days you shall labor. And we know in this fallen world what labor often includes. It's hard. It's painful. There's those thorns and thistles. There's, you know, two steps forward, one step backward. Take note that in verse 14 in Deuteronomy 5, how the people are told to keep the Sabbath that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, remembering that they once were slaves in Egypt. They, that should prompt them to not only take a day of rest for themselves, but see to it that their servants may rest as well as you. Does this not show God's fatherly care for his people, for everyone? Waters, the author, he argues or says that in this way, the Sabbath calls Israel to look into two directions. First, vertically, they must look to God, their redeemer, who saved them from bondage in Egypt, and secondly, they must look horizontally. They must look to the physical and spiritual well-being of their servants, their own servants. They must free their servants from the demands of this worldly labor on the seventh day. So that these servants, in company with the rest of Israel, may devote the day to the worship of God. Now, I may, you may be thinking right now, so he's talking about servants, their servants. How does this translate to us in today? Well, we'll talk about that in the last session that we go through on this book when we talk about practice of this Sabbath command.
Waters, he continues, saying that overall, the primary intention of the redemptive grounds given in Deuteron Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, the primary intention was that Israel remember God as their redeemer in the course of their Sabbath worship. That would elicit praise, thanksgiving, worship. The Sabbath was a day to celebrate what God had done to rescue helpless Israel from slavery in Egypt. Not just that, though. Not just that. But to remember his power, his wisdom, his creative power, who he is and what we owe to him in allegiance, his mercy to worship him as the God who has entered into covenant with them. And in celebration of the weekly Sabbath, God's people are to look to him as both creator and redeemer. Yeah, observance should force them to consider how God's commands instruct them to relate to one another. You know, showing mercy and love. The servants, they have this special mention of them. They have like dignity with the fellow image bearers of God. Only God, only at that time, of course, Judaism, only in worship the one true God did this exist on the face of the earth. All the other religions didn't uh, offer such dignity. All right, let's continue. As we're walking through this, the, um, the, um, the Pentateuch, there are some things that we want to focus on in terms of the Sabbath and, and signs that it gives. In Exodus, God speaks of the Sabbath as a sign. Quote, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So it's a sign. God intends that the weekly Sabbath serve as a sign of the covenant that he made with them at Sinai. So it's a sign given for the law of Moses. Observing the commandment is to remind Israel of their covenant relationship with God. Now, the purpose of a covenant, uh, of a covenantal sign, that is, the purpose of that sign is, as the author explains, is to display in tangible physical form the promises brought together and represented in a particular covenant. So, what about the promises that the Sabbath is supposed to represent? You know, which promises? The answer, writes Waters, is found in Exodus 31, verses 17 and 13, which I have on the screen. In the first place, the Sabbath is a sign pointing Israel to creation. It's a sign pointing them to creation, specifically that God made the world in six days and that he rested on the seventh and found rest and refreshment on that seventh day. 
they could take God's word. They could take God at his word and trust him that they may rest from their labors and the world won't fall apart. They can rest from their labors and look forward to being kept secure by him. This is as much as put in the created order as the stars in the sky and the, and the sun comes up every day. But boy, has the serpent attacked this sign and understanding to steal joy away from God's people. Secondly, the Sabbath is a sign pointing Israel to redemption. Specifically, God says, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That is, to be holy as God is holy. It's a sign of God's promise to sanctify his people, to, to make them holy. We, a lot of this is taught in the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Pentateuch. It's very important to note that the weekly Sabbath is not only a sign for the Mosaic covenant, but its foundations lie in the created order. You know, all again, back to Genesis. It therefore applies as a sign to all human beings in all times and in all places. When the Mosaic Covenant expires, because it is also a sign pointing back to the created order, when the mosaic expires with the coming of the new covenant, the weekly Sabbath does not expire. It predates this, the covenant at Sinai. All right. Let's look at the next section here. Sabbath and sanctions. Another way that the Sabbath services uniquely within the Mosaic Covenant is through the sanctions that are associated with breaking it. You know, God threatens those who break the Sabbath with capital punishment, saying in verses 14 and 15 of Exodus 31, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. That's a key phrase there, cut off. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. God sees breaking the commandment to keep the weekly Sabbath as akin to profaning the day. In Numbers 15, we get a taste of what God means by this sanction. There's an Israelite that is found out gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. The people come to Moses and Moses goes to the Lord, what should we do? And by God's explicit instruction, the offender is sentenced to death by congregational stoning, everyone more or less picks up a stone and stones the offender outside the camp outside the camp 
It happens outside the camp because it symbolizes the offender as being cut off from among his people. It's a sign of the covenant, the weekly Sabbath. You know, God's people are unique among all the peoples of the earth. They are his called out ones. They are also stubborn and rebellious. You know, the number of times in scripture says we weren't called out because we're the best among the people. There is much they must learn about sin and to sin against God's law is to despise it and to profane it. They must learn this. You know, what does sin deserve? What does sin deserve? It deserves everlasting death. The threats and the penalties that are stipulated in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, they were imaging on a temporal level the nature and consequences of sin at the eternal level. Which is why we find Paul in Galatians 3 verse 10 telling us that every human being Every human being who fails to keep even one command of God's law is justly under the curse of God. But there is good news, isn't there? There is good news. The gospel tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Oh man, I love it when we are able to see by the aid and help of the Spirit of God to see how the text of Scripture from one book into the other just is interwoven in this redemptive picture. The Mosaic Law, with its threats and its punishments, it pointed Israel to the coming of the Christ of God, who would be unjustly condemned by the Jewish leaders as a covenant breaker and thus died in a cursed death on a tree outside the city of Jerusalem. All to redeem poor sinners from their sins by his blood, which is the life. The covenants of the Bible are established in blood. Let's talk about Sabbath and seasons. I don't have a slide on this one, but Let's briefly go through this. There's another way the Sabbath appears in the law of Moses, and it's seen in the calendar of worship that God gave Israel to follow. Again, what we read in the Pentateuch. Israel was not allowed to get creative with their worship. We, are, we know what that looks like with Nadab and Abihu. Uh, there was the command to observe a weekly Sabbath. But there were other Sabbaths given in the Mosaic law that they were commanded to keep throughout a year's time and even throughout several decades, decades of time. In Leviticus chapter 23, God gives Israel a, a calendar of worship. Pivotal is the weekly Sabbath, but God also appoints in, in a yearly cycle of feasts, of Sabbaths. You got the Passover, you have the first fruits, you have the, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. The author argues, or he notes, that aspects of these feasts resemble the celebration of the weekly Sabbath. There are aspects in these other 
dates on the calendar that are going to remind them of the weekly Sabbath. There are elements of observance in them where work is not permitted and rest is commanded. The entire year is chock full of Sabbaths to direct Israel's worship. And in each instance, there is a time when work is to be laid down and they are to gather together in corporate worship. There was even a Sabbath every seven years and a year of Jubilee every 50 years. And some form of rest is commanded in these observances. The recurring patterns of a Sabbath that God gave Israel through Moses, it reinforced that weekly observance in its great importance. And it was to remind them time after time of the rest, the heavenly rest of worship and communion with God that belongs to every child of God. Even the sojourner, even the servant. All right, last section here, Sabbath and subsequent history. There is this fourth and final observation that the author calls out here that is in the institution of the Sabbath. Uh, and it is that with all the covenant blessings and curses attached to Sabbath under the Mosaic Covenant, the keeping of the Sabbath helps to shape the future in the life of God's covenant people. The New Testament stresses how God designed the law of Moses to point Israel to the Christ whom he had promised to send. In Galatians 3, verse 24, Paul writes, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The Pentateuch both asks and answers the question, will Israel in fact trust and obey the God who has redeemed them, who has taken them into covenant with him and is preparing them for the arrival of the savior of the world? Will they trust and obey him? Waters says that it, this command that we have uh, and its subsequent impact on their history and their future even, um, that we can, as we read in the scripture, there are hints that are given in Israel's history. It tells us that they're going to be removed from the land. God talks about that. As he's giving them these commands to obey them, he also talks about how they're going to, how the punishment would be if they break the commandment. Being removed from the land, they would be under the curse of the covenant because of their unbelief and disobedience. Uh, in Deuteronomy, when Moses is addressing the people, he speaks of punishment for breaking the covenant as if it's going to happen. You just read it and it's, and if I were hearing it, I'd be going, so, I mean, it sure sounds like you're thinking we're going to do these things. Didn't you remember what we said at the mountain that we're going to do this? <laughs> no, I, 
it, it speaks as if they are going to do these things. But God is going to have mercy on them and they bring them back. You know, looking at both Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular, there is, there is extra space devoted to the curses and threats of breaking the covenant. The promises versus the threats and the punishments, it's much more heavily weighted in terms of space given in text to those threats, those covenantal threats. And the author here, he argues that this is but a foreshadowing of what will happen. Just like when we're watching a movie and those, those very quick moments in a, a scene that flashes by that shows a glimpse of what is to come. You know, often it's easier to see these things as we look in, into it backwards. You know, read, whether it's the book we're reading or, again, a, a movie we're watching. But it, it's a foreshadowing. You know, God pledges, he pledges to remove Israel from the land, scattering them among the nations outside the camp, leaving them, the land, a desolation. At that point, God says, the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, the land then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. Now they're gonna suffer great and tremendous loss for disregarding the covenant and a clear disregard for the worship God has appointed for them in his law. Now, thankfully, this is not God's final word for them. It's not his final covenant. The next week, God willing, Stephen will go to the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament talk about how they spoke on God's behalf of judgments and words of restoration and hope. And we'll see through the prophets how the Sabbath relates to the work of the promised Messiah. So, let's pray. Father.